0: Ephesians 6, if you will. Ephesians chapter number 6. And uh, we are going to continue looking here at the provisions that God has given to us. And uh, we're looking, we've been looking at the armor. And really, we've been doing it from a bird's eye view, uh, not down in it. I mean, we can literally, you can take the, the, the loins girt about with truth, and you can spend a year just digging down into that. But let's just read here from verse 14 down, and uh, we'll get into part two here this morning. Uh, Stand, therefore, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked." And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for uh, each other and for who we are in your Son. And as we look here this morning at the armor, that we would just have it become a, a major part of our life. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to come here. We saw the first 3 pieces last time. All of the pieces of the armor have have to do with really our identity in Christ. The first 3 we saw, we the the belt, the girdle of truth, and then the breastplate of righteousness and our feet shod with the gospel of peace and a, and those Pieces never leave you. Once you put on the belt, once you take the robes of life, the the the, the flowing robes of life, and you you put on the truth, and, that, and that's a wonderful thing—the truth of God's word, rightly divided. Who you are in Christ, and you take that and you put that belt on. Then you take the breastplate of righteousness and you hook it to the belt, so it never comes off of you. It's on. By the way, it's not your righteousness, it's his righteousness. It's his righteousness in you. So it's your righteousness, but it's really his righteousness, okay? In semantics, I guess. But what do you do? You got the breastplate of righteousness. And then you have your feet shod. You got the shoes on. You got the right footwear for the battle. By the way, I'll remind you, it's preparation, not proclamation. Religion says... Get out there and proclaim the gospel. Well, yeah, we're to do the work of an evangelist, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's having your feet shod with the what? With the preparation. That's the edification process that's starting through Paul's epistles, Romans to Philemon, learning who you are in Christ, and taking that and putting that into the details of life. So we're to have the flow of life's robe secured by the truth of God's word rightly divided. Then the truth of His righteousness being our righteousness. And then to know that we are in that wonderful position of peace. That good news of peace. Victory in the battle. We're never, I, I hope you understand, we, we, we fight against spiritual wickedness. If you look back up there at verse 12. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're wrestling against an adversary, a spiritual, rulers of the darkness. But we're, but they've been defeated. Come on, look, look over with, just real quick, Colossians chapter 2. I know you got the today's references, but I reserve the right to leave them at a moment's notice, okay? Colossians 2. Thanks. Colossians 2. The, the, the honesty is wonderful, isn't it? Colossians 2, look at verse 14. The Lord here blotting out the handwriting of an ordinance that was against us, which was contrary to us and took it out of the way nailing it to his cross the cross of Calvary we learn under with Paul and the revelation given to Paul he took that law that mosaic law that said you're guilty 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 and he paid the price required nailed it to his cross having spoiled principalities and power spoiled he won the victory when he said it is finished guess what it was finished it was done he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it, in his cross. He made a show of them open, open display, nothing hidden. Here it is, here's what happened at Calvary. It's all been made known. There it is. And you know what? We battle against a defeated adversary. We come over to Romans 8. We battle against thing against a foe that every day of that extended grace just sticks it in him again. It's fascinating. Study through the Gospels and teaching it. You see the Lord come in and stick the nation of Israel, the leadership, the apostate nation, and he's prodding them and he's, he's, he's pro- poking them. That's what he's doing here. A day of grace is just another stick into the adversary of you lost, I won. <laughs> and look at what I'm doing. Romans 8 we're, by the way, those first three pieces of armor, we're never to take them off. They always are on. We're to fight from a position of peace. I know in war everybody's looking for peace, but this is real peace. This is peace that passeth all understanding. It's a peace that gets down in you that says, you know what? Well, it's Romans 8. Look at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Notice all those calamities of life come up. The adversary uses these. We talked several months ago about his strategies and so forth, and he uses these. He comes in, and he's a tribulation and, and peril. I think about that, tribulation, the pressures of life. By the way, 1 Corinthians 10 says it's common to man. That's a wonderful verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. That, that takes a The I'm special off the table immediately. It's common to man. Wanda passing away, common to man. Go have a funeral, memorial, and services, common to man. It happens. It's appointed unto man once to die. Then the what? The judgment. Let's not face the judgment. Let's make sure you're going to heaven, you know. But then you think about tribulation or distress. You know what happened? No way to escape. No way to get out of it. How do I get out of it? There's no no apparent way. That's a a frightening thing sometimes in life. By the way, that verse in 1 Corinthians 10.13 says that he's made a way to escape. It's in the doctrine. It's in who you are. Then he says, or persecution. That's that. They come up against you because of what you believe. You believe that Christ died for your sins, was buried, and rose again the third day. Faith in that alone, period. And yet, what does Christianity do? No, you gotta do this, you gotta work, you gotta do that. And it's like, no, no, it's not. And what so they begin to persecute you. Think about famine, economic pressures. Isn't that an interesting thing? You look around the world today, economic pressures are there, they're evident. $10 for a dozen eggs. That's an economic pressure. I had some eggs the other day, and Linda said, only two. I'm like, wait a minute. And she goes, nope, two. And better at one. I'm like, nope, two. <laughs> right? Why? Because, you know, suckers are expensive. So instead of having eggs every day, I'm having them once a week now. Why? Because we've got to make that thing stretch. Economic pressure. Nakedness. I Nakedness, absence of physical luxury and necessity. Peril, dangers of everyday life in a fallen world. Think about that. I mean, we enjoy, think about that major crash on I-10. Poor guy just sitting there on his way to work. Boom. It's like, whoa. I think about Bob and Rita's brother-in-law, as he comes down the road and slides into the back end of the semi on the icy road. boom, gone. Bam. Perils. It's peril. Well, I don't know, Rick. That's extreme. Yeah, but you come out of the wrong place at the wrong time, and the guy put a gun in your face and asked for your car. It's life. It's dangerous. It's peril. Then he says, sword. There's the governmental opposition. There's the government now taking an interest in opposing you. Isn't that interesting? Now, look at verse 37. I mean, verse 35 is doom and gloom. Oh, my goodness. But look at verse 37. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. A more than conqueror. We, We are to take the list in verse 35. We're to take that and we're to turn it to our advantage. We're to take it and we're to, we're, to, we're to move it over here. And we're to view life from a victorious position. Why? Because we have our feet shod with the gospel of peace. We're to look at that life and say, you know what? I can only eat one egg a week or no eggs. I can make that decision. I, and I, I use an egg because it's an easy illustration, okay? You have them in your life. You use them there. What can I do? I can take this moment to turn. And and fight and view life and live life from a victorious position. No fear, but with peace. Why? Because life isn't the enemy. Who's my enemy? The adversary is. And what has God provided for me? Come back to Ephesians 6. What's He given to us? By the way, I didn't you you keep reading there in verse 38 and 39. Now we're in the spiritual realm. He's still victorious. In Ephesians 6, what does he say here? He says, you've got these pieces. Put on this armor, guys. Put on the strength that comes from God's Word. Have your heart protected by having it filled with the identity that we have in Christ. Have your feet firmly established in in that peace and quietness that that identity is designed to produce. In your life. And then he comes to the next set of verse 16, and above all. Now, again, not more important than, but in association with, what are we gonna do? We're gonna take, see, see that in verse 14? Stand therefore, having your loins girded with the truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shot. you have that, you're dressed with it. you don't take it off. You leave on that identity. Then in verse 16 and having, and above all, taking the shield, verse 17, and take the helmet and the sword. Now we're going to have some defensive mechanism, some defensive armor, this shield and helmet and sword that we don't always need but it's to be ready for the battle. It's to be ready to be picked up. The shield and the helmet and the sword, they're at, they're at arm's length. And when that soldier, I think about Gideon. You know, Gideon and his 3,000 when he started. Then he gets down to 300. Do you remember how he picked the 300? The guys got down on their hands and knees and they were ready for battle They and lapped it up and they they didn't just discard and go down, you know. Right? That's you and I. We have them ready. But we don't always need the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and the sword. But they're they're at the ready. Notice it's the shield of faith, not shield of the faith. Okay? The faith is the doctrine that is given to Paul, given to you and I, Romans to Philemon. But here, it's the the shield of faith. It's you keep believing. And the thing that gets you through the battle, through the fiery darts of the adversary, through those darts that Satan is going to hurl at you, through the tribulation and the persecution and the distresses, and you know what you do? You just keep believing the Word. It's the shield of faith. When they come, what am I going to do? I'm going to default to believing the Word. Not believing the faith, but believing the Word. God's Word, it's right. It's right when I'm wrong. (laughs) It's my, okay? So when he talks here, come over to 2 Corinthians 5. So what he's really talking about here is he's talking about, hey, Keep having that walk of faith. He's trying to put some, the adversary, when he tries to put some distance between what you learned in those first three pieces, he's trying to cause you to keep that down, to put it down. And you're to pick it up. 2 Corinthians 5, the verses, verse 7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Isn't that a wonderful thing? So therefore, what do we have to have? We have to have the Word of God. And we do. We understand that. But in order, So we have it. So then what do we do? We default back to it. The issue is in, really, it's back up in chapter 4. Look at verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are what? They're temporal. They're here today, gone tomorrow. It's raining today. It's going to rain Tomorrow. If the weathermen are right, or weather ladies are right, it's going to rain Tuesday. But what's coming Wednesday? We hope the sun. <laughs> you know, us desert lovers, we you know, three or four days of gloom and gloom, we're ready for some sun. Okay. I was up in Seattle one time visiting, and I was like, I, I got to go. I was only there for like a weekend. I'm like, I'm out of here. This is depressing. Where's the? You know, what do we 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 have God's word temporal. Those things in Romans eight thirty-five. you know what they are? They're temporal. But where are we to focus? On the things which are not seen, because why? Because they are eternal. Draw your eye back up to verse 16. Notice the context here. So the key here in the shield of faith is a walk of faith. We're to trust what God says, not by what we see. Because sometimes what we see isn't always the truth. Now, I realize that's hard, and it goes against our nature. Moses looks at Israel and says, see your salvation. God looks at us and says, you need to walk by faith, not by sight. So i got to have God's word. Verse 16, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, Yet the inward man is what? Renewed day by day. Remember, the shield of faith is designed to cause you to not faint, to walk you. You pick it up in the moment when the darts start hurling at you. So that you'll have a walk of faith and you won't be distraught. You won't be in distress. Actually, earlier in the chapter, Paul just said, "We are verse 8, we're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, yet not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Why? How in the world can he say that? Verse 7, we have this treasure in earth and vessel that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Where do we look? We look at our excellency we have in Christ, not in ourselves, because in ourselves, what do we got? Oh, you're going to die. Woohoo! yay. Right? I mean, hey, you know, it's taxes and death are guaranteed, they say, right? Yeah, whoopee, yay. No, wrong attitude. I think, I think about that verse in Timothy where he says, "Yea, all those who live godly will suffer uh, or shall suffer persecution." I think about that word "yea," not as "yea," but "yay!" I get to live godly. Woo! It's a different attitude. Why? Because that's how we're to think about it. How? Why are we to think about this this way? Verse 17 for our light affliction. Now, in the moment, is it light? Our fiery darts are coming at you. You're ducking, and what? Oh, it's not light at all. It's heavy. It's heavy to get a phone call. The hey, you know, friend of yours, so and so died, and boom, it's a punch in the gut. It's heavy. But what does the Word of God say? It's what? It's light. It's which is but for a moment. Think about a moment compared to a far more exceeding and eternal. Think about the moment compared to eternity. That's a different perspective. When I look, and I I don't it isn't going to last forever. But what am I focused in on? What will last forever? Verse seventeen for our light affliction, which is but for a moment. That next word, worketh. I think that's the word we ignore. The trouble, the tribulation, Romans 5, tribulation, worketh, patience, patience, experience, experience, hope. It it works. What's my attitude to have towards life? First of all, it's not my enemy. Romans 8, 37, I more than conquered that bad boy in who I am in Christ. Therefore, when trouble comes, I'm to let it work in me. I'm led to energize some thinking and some doctrine that I have in here, and I pull that shield of faith, and I hide behind my faith in the Word of God concerning me and who I am, and I renew the inner man. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the evidence of things, what? Remember? Not seen. Right? Please say yes. Okay. okay. Otherwise, we're running every verse, Okay. So we'll see you tonight <laughs> no what hey you come in and you say hey this is who I so we're not living on what the circumstances or the situation the emotion of the moment we're living on 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 a on a thought process a issue of faith and that is really the reality of what God's Word says is true It says this, so therefore it is what? True. It's accurate. It's who I am. Come over to 1 Timothy 4. That thing about the fiery darts. And again, the strategies, the things that he's throwing at you, the things in Colossians 2, we spent a month going through. 1 Timothy 4, look at verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. Now, That phraseology isn't used quite a lot. It's only really used by the Apostle Paul. So if the Spirit is speaking expressly, what should I do? Pay attention to it. It's like when Paul repeats himself, pay attention. When the Lord in the the Gospels will say, verily, verily, you better pay attention. That in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience, notice, seared with a hot iron. Now think about a fiery dart and a searing of the conscience. The doctrines of devils, the seducing spirits, the attack of the adversary to cause you to draw you away from who you are in Christ. To cause you to pull off those three first three pieces of armor. To cause you to come over here and put in the closet the sword and the helmet and the shield it's going to do what with you? It's going to sear you. You know what it is to sear? You take a piece of meat and you sear it with fire, don't you? Burn it. You burn it and you burn it and then you go choke it down. Okay? You burn. Sear that thing. When you sear something, what do you have? You have scar tissue, don't you? You have no light. And if you think about that, that fiery, that searing, it, begin, it, it burns. Come back to Ephesians 6. No light, no feeling, no working. And the shield of faith, trusting in what God says, not the circumstances, not the s- situations that we're in. And we begin to look at life the way Christ would have us look at it, as victorious. You know the circumstances always change, but God's word, what? It never changes. It's right there. So faith here, Paul says, I fought the good fight of faith. That's to keep believing what God says. It's a challenge. Yet there is, yet this is where we need to be. When the assaults come, that shield comes up. And you put yourself behind the truth of God's word, not what others are saying. Because they're fleeting for the moment. I've got a whole book in there of quotes by people. I was looking through the names of the quotes in the index. And do you know that 99% of those people are dead? There's only a little bit that aren't. And everything they say, I can find a verse in scripture that says the same thing. They're fleeting. God's word is there. Then verse 17, he says, take the helmet of salvation. Now think about the helmet. Where does the helmet go? On the the second most or the most vital part of your body, your heart and your head, right? You shoot one, you you, you, you win. Another key part of you, your thinking, that that mental attitude that the soldier is to have. Come over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Did you guys get warm? Oh, it's me? Never too hot? Isn't it January? I mean, come on. 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. Look at verse 8. The helmet of salvation. The the thinking, the mentality, the attitude that we're to have. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8, he says, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of what? Salvation. Now, in the context of salvation has to do with that stuff up there about understanding perfectly that the day of the Lord and so forth, and the prophetic, that we are saved from the wrath to come. We're not going to go through the 70th week of Daniel. We don't go through the tribulation. We don't do any of that. We're rescued before the rapture. Rescued before the Daniel 9 prophecy being fulfilled. Okay? But think about the hope of salvation. The helmet here. There is a hope that your salvation, your identity gives you come over to Titus chapter 2 and you got to think about this Titus 2 verse 11 you see folks when the helmet of salvation comes on and we put that onto our thinking there becomes this issue of understanding what's going on in life we've got the shield there we've got our identity in place it's on it's secure we're never losing it it's there we're never taking it off it's right there and when you take this Titus 211, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. So the grace of God, what's it going to do? Teaching us, verse 12, that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. There's that walk of faith. How am I to wear I'm to deny this and I'm to put on that? Verse 13 looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for who? For us members of the church, the body of Christ, for you and I, those that have trusted in him, those that, verse 11, the salvation hath appeared to all men. So you've trusted in the cross work of Calvary. He's given you an identity in verse 12. And he says, you got a hope coming out there that outweighs every, all of it. Might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. We have a secure prospect, an earnest expectation. Ephesians 1 says, of the glory of God, and that issue is to come. Come over to Romans 8 again, where we were. And when you begin to think about this, and you begin to put on this the mentality, the proper thinking process. In a couple weeks, we're going to talk about the real you and how you are designed to work in Scripture and how Scripture says, here's how man's going to work. And when you put on that proper mentality, the proper thinking process, you know what begins to happen? Hope springs eternal. Hope becomes the issue of, you know what? Look at Romans 8.18. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. A lot going on there to unpack, and we don't have a lot of extra time here this morning, but you think about this. Why do we suffer? What's Romans 8, 18 and following going to tell you? You suffer because you live in a sin-cursed creation. You suffer because God chose to leave his ambassadors here on planet Earth to go do the work of an ambassador, to spread the gospel, to spread the edification process, to help those who who need help. So he left you here. So you have to have an understanding of that. You have to have a helmet, a protection in your mind of that, that you know what? When I look at things over here and life stinks because it does stink at times, there's what? There's more glory coming my way than ever. And where should my mind drift? Right over there. By the way, you know who you you see this in? You see it in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, in verse 2, the writer of Hebrews says that the Lord, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. What was set before the Lord? Kingdom glory. The glory that his father and him had before. We're going to have it again, John says. And you know what he did? He went over there and he humbled himself and became obedient Under the cross, under the death, even the death of the cross, that cursed death, he did for you. What a mindset. What a helmet of salvation. What a focus point. Here's how I'm going to, by the way, you suffer. There's three reasons. One, right here, Romans 8, sin cursed. Two, Galatians 6, you reap what you sow. You make bad decisions, you're going to reap the bad consequences. You make good ones, you reap okay. All right? And then the third one is the passage in Timothy about living godly. You choose to live godly. You choose to live as who you are in Christ. You will suffer something along the line in that neck because of that. And he says, do that. The thinking process. Here's how I'm going to think about this. I'm going to think about it the way God would have me think about it because life here is just what? Temporal. Eternity is where I'm focused. Eternity is where I'm going. And I concentrate there. Come back to Ephesians 6. The helmet, by the way, I'll tell you this, you have to be careful what you allow yourself, what you allow your family to love. Because what you decide to love and you allow your family to love, that is what will run your life and if you train these young people to love the lord to love his word guess what will begin to run their life fathers bring up your bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the lord parents you're going to do this together it's a tag team event (laughs) why because they'll go to mom mom will say no they go to dad dad says yes so what did we just do tag team boom all right (laughs) The little dudes know how to create chaos real quick. Be careful with that. It'll be what controls, what guides your life. Where should our thinking be? Who we are in Christ. Let's do that. Then he says, sword of the Spirit. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is the only offensive piece. Everything else is defensive. The onslaught is coming. I'm firmly stood. I got my feet prepared. I got my girdle on my, my girdle. I got my girdle on. My belt on. I got my breastplate on. I'm ready for battle. I got the shield at the head. I got the helmet ready. I got it all on. And then he says, You're gonna take that sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now we got an offensive mechanism. By the way, offensive and to do what? Not move forward and advance. God isn't in the real estate business today. He's in the spiritual business. It's to do what? Fend off, poke, attack, poke, and keep. In Israel, they were to advance on, move forward, gain the ground. Joseph at the end of, not Joseph, Joshua at the end of his life, he says, My generation has done. Joseph said the same thing. My generation has conquered the land. It's on the next to continue to conquer, to continue to go. You and I, what are we to do? We're to take it, come over to Hebrews 4. You know the verse. We're going there. Hebrews 4. We're to take that sword and we're to to use it. Key verse here, Hebrews 4, verse 12. Great verse. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the morrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intent of the heart. Man, what look at that word. Woo. No wonder man doesn't like it. You know why? The word of God is positive toward God and negative toward man. Jeremiah, he says, your heart is foolish and it's desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know who knows it? The Word knows it. What it it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That means that when, that when you read that book, it's reading your meter. It's reading you. I tell you, read three chapters a day. Romans of Philemon, 28 days. You're good to go. Why? Because it reads you. It's a discerner. If you come to this book to prove that you'll lose your salvation or to prove this or that, guess what you're going to find? You'll find the verses that'll prove that, but you know what you'll also find? The verses that disprove it. It's going to give you what you want. If I want an out for whatever, it'll give it to me, but it'll never change the verses that say you shouldn't and you should live soberly and righteously and godly, you see. It's quick. I love that. Quick. Everybody goes, oh, it's alive, brother. Well, it's more than that. Quick in movement, it works quickly. Its design isn't to take years and years and years to work in your life. Its design is to work quickly. Have you ever wondered why Paul and his ministry would go out and he would go in and he would establish a local church and then edify him and then leave? and then come back a little bit later, and they're still there moving. We've been at this for a long time, since 1998, what, 25 years. Some of you are still trudging, going, trying to catch up. Why? What's going on? The Word's not doing it. That's you, okay? And I'm with you. Don't worry, I'm, I'm slowing down too. But quick movement, fast. Its design is to come in and to to work in you, to read you, to discern, to identify what you want. It identifies what you want when you don't know you want it. And its design is to work quickly. But it's what? It's two-edged. Again, you can want to prove a doctrine and it comes in and then on the way out, it'll prove the disproof. It's two-edged. So we're to take the objective standard, the Word of God. Object, it's outside of you and I. The author is divine. It's what's true. It's the Word of God rightly divided. We're to stay out of Colossians 2, verse 8. You know what that is? Philosophies and the traditions of men and the rudiments of the world. You stay out of all that mess. Why? Because all of it, look at Colossians 2. Some of you are there probably. Colossians 2, verse 8, Beware lest any man spoil you with philosophy and vain deceit after traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. We're to stay out of that. We're to live in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, where it says that the Word of God will effectually work in you that believe. That's the issue here. That's where the sword becomes the offensive weaponry. I believe it. I believe it to be true. When I'm right and I agree with it, we're good to go. And when I don't agree with it, it's right. And I'm moving forward with that into the battle. And I'm going to bring, come back there to Ephesians 6, the details, I'm going to bring the sword to bear and the details of life that are being attacked. And just as I'm going to pull up that shield of faith and I'm going to believe the word, I'm now going to take the word and knock, the, knock them down. Knock the, the arrows down. The fiery darts. Knock the onslaught down. Defeat it. You watch the movies and... The guy shoots the bow and arrow, shoots the arrow, and the guy reaches up and knocks it down. His I've shot an arrow. Only in a movie can you knock it down. That thing's moving so fast, right? I go hunting, and the guys are like, well, let's do this. Let's play this game. So we're playing a game. You know where my arrows are? We're in the wilderness looking for them. Where'd it go? I don't know. I didn't see it. Where'd it go? I think it went that way. Oh, we're over there. Poor Jeff's been out looking. And it's like, Rick, Rick, I'll just buy you a new one. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Why? But what is it? You're able to take that sword and knock it down. Ephesians 6, the last piece of the, of the armor. It's the piece here, verse 18, prayer. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in, in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. I add this piece to the armor. Some do, some don't. It's okay. Because prayer is the communication mechanism of the soldier in battle. Notice in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication, where? In the spirit. That's where the prayer, that's where prayer is. Prayer, pray, prayer in, we're gonna pray in line. We're gonna pray in the spirit. We're gonna pray in line with what the spirit is doing. I'm going to go find out what he's doing, and I'm going to take what he says, and I'm going to apply that to the circumstances and the situations of life. I gave you on your paper there, Lamentations 2 defines prayer for you as pouring out your soul unto the Father, and that's what it is. You're in Ephesians. Run over here to Philippians 4, just because you're close. Verse 6. Philippians 4, one of Paul's prayers that he gives, he gives five of them in Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians to illustrate what a mature saint is going to pray, what it's going to look like, what it's going to sound like, because prayer isn't big vending machine in the sky. If I dump enough faith quarters in there, I'll get something. If, if that was the case, I'd have won that 1.35 billion without taxes by the way because that was my prayer I want to win and pay no taxes. okay he's not a GD in the sky we're praying where in the spirit what's the spirit doing well look at 4 6 be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with Thanksgiving notice the attitude we're praying in is with what Thanksgiving yeah, but Rick, the situation's horrible. I know, but you can still pray with thanksgiving. Prayer, supplication, gen, specific thing. Let your requests be made known unto God. So what does that mean? It means I can, I can pray for anything and everything. Right? I can. That's what, let your requests be made known. But what's the answer? Verse 7. And the peace of God, which patheth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I can bring it all to the altar. I can bring it all to the Father. But what is going to be the answer? The peace of God, but through who? Through Christ Jesus. What's going to keep my heart? Come over to 2 Corinthians 12. Many of you guys know where I'm going. (laughs) What is he doing here? What's the spirit? How are we going to pray? How do we communicate with God? Hey, Lord, this is what's happening in life. These are the fiery darts coming my way. I got everything here. I'm I'm with thanksgiving. Thank you for being blessed with all spiritual blessings. Thank you for making me complete. Thank you for the all-sufficiency of your grace. Thank you. But, man, I need some help here. Go here. Go there. No. No. You come to the Word of God. What's, what's the spirit? this You got 2 Corinthians 12? Oh, I'm jumping ahead. Doggone it. Uh, look, look, look here at 2 Corinthians 12. Just stay the course. Right. Look at verse 7. Here's our apostle, our pattern. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation. So what's happened? Paul's gotten some information. And to keep Paul in line, okay, to keep Paul from saying the things that he just saw because it's not time for him to reveal it that's back up there in verse three and our verse four and five okay he's given a thorn in the flesh the messenger of satan to buffet me lest i should be exalted above measure you know that if he laid out the ephesians, the advanced doctrine of ephesians philippians and colossians right here to the corinthians they would have been floored they'd have been lost they'd have been drowning and what in the world was all of that there wasn't time yet for that. So he gets a thorn in the flesh. You see that? Okay, now you can say whatever you want the thorn is. It's a thorn in the flesh. It's a messenger from Satan to buffeting. Now watch verse 8. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. What did Paul do? He prayed three times to, for what? The thorn to leave. Let it go. Get it out of here. See? He did what you and I would do. Lord, help. I need some help here. Now watch the next verse. And he said unto me. What is the word of God to Paul in the moment of him begging for the thorn, the messenger, to be taken away? And he said unto me, five words. Paul says it earlier in Corinthians. He said, I would, instead of speaking all these tongues, I'd rather say five words to you. And he said unto me, five words. Now, I I know we get to my grace, but what did the word of God say to Paul? That's your answer, folks. In your prayer life, when you look at something, you bring it all to the table. You bring it all to the Father. Why? Because it's bothering you. You're worried about it. You're thinking about it. You're obsessing on it, or, or not obsessing, and you should be. <laughs> and what do you, you bring it there? And you know what the Word of God says: My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Notice, there's a period. That's the answer. Now, Paul's got a little different relationship with the with the Lord in that. The Lord shows up and tells him that, you and I have what? The written word of God that says what? Boom. You know why? Because when you look at that word, King James Bible, the word, you're looking at God right in the face when he says that. What does he say to you? My grace is sufficient for you, for for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So Paul answers, most gladly, therefore, Will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me? Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I am become a fool in glorying. Ye have compelled me, for I ought to have. I mean, he just he says, "Bring it on, bad boys! You guys, you think you got me down? Uh-uh, man! I got the. I got a glory perspective." I've got a different perspective on this. The Corinthians have been nailing him, trying to, you. we want a proof of Christ speaking in you. And he's been proving that, and he's been providing that, and they just won't get off his back. He's weak, he's, uh, oh, we like Apollos, he's smooth. Boy, don't, but man, his letters, Paul's letters, man, they're weighty. But we don't want to see him. Well, you get beat up a few times like he had. You wouldn't be the prettiest thing in the room either. But see, the thing is, is my point is, how did prayer, you're in the middle of the battle, and you go to the Father, and you say, Father, this is what's happening. I need, how do I take that verse, how do I take, and he said unto me, off of that verse, off of that page, put it into my life, and go to work with it. You're going to do what? You're going to take up the shield of faith? You're going to take on that helmet of salvation? You're going to say, you know what, that book's true. I may not understand it all, but it's true. And I'm going to keep studying it. And I'm going to keep looking at it. Come over to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 2. Do this quickly. 1 Corinthians 2. Just to remind yourself. Why? Because I'm praying in the Spirit. And what's the Spirit doing today? He's forming the church, the body of Christ. He's doing something completely different that he's never done before. He's working right here, and he's working with the Word of God. By the way, he's always done that. Even in Israel's program, the Spirit would never work unless the Word of God was there to be done. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Verse 2, and the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved. Verse 3, and God said. And the Spirit started, went to work and created. 1 Corinthians 2, verse number 9. But as as it is written, eye hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man things, the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Never read 9 without verse 10. But God hath revealed them unto us, by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things. He had the deep things of God. Verse 13, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And the spiritual there are the words that the Spirit's using to reveal the deep things of God. Verse 10, the things that God had prepared for them that love Him. So what do you have to have today to understand the book? you got to have the Spirit. You got to get saved. You got to be in Christ. See? Because where's the Spirit going to work? It's going to work right here on the pages of His Word. So if I come over to chapter six. So if I'm struggling to come in here and I got an issue going on and the issue isn't found in the in the Word of God, by the way, work is, is get a job in the book. Yeah. He says if you don't work, you don't eat. <laughs> I'm going, there's one egg, two egg, three. I better work. Let's go get a job. You know what he said he says hey no it's good you need to work you need to have a job are we to be honest with all men yeah the book says so are we to live a a, a life of uh of uh righteousness yeah titus 2 says so denying ungodliness and we should live righteously sober see you got direction first thessalonians 4 man you read that passage in one verse 1 to 12 and he lays down your life real quick how you ought to be living But what about the dark areas, the areas that aren't there? Well, 1 Corinthians 6 helps. Verse 12, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. You take your trip over to chapter 10 and verse 23, and he says it again. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Wait a minute, what in the world? Well, listen, let me ask you something. This morning when I got up, actually it was last night, but this morning when I got up, God didn't whisper in the ear and say, wear the blue suit with the white shirt. Now let me ask you something. Is it in your best interest that I'm dressed? Oh, please, yes. Okay? Is it in my best interest that I'm dressed? Oh, yes. Okay? It's expedient. What's in my best long-term interest here? Okay? Now, is it lawful? Well, yeah. By the way, is it lawful for me? Is it lawful to me? Does the Word of God say, whatever it is that you're looking for? That's the lawful. What's lawful in our life? The Word of God is. So if that Word says, you know, get a job, then you better get a job, guys. That's the that's the mandate. Okay. But then he says, expedient. Is it in my best long? Ter- is it in your term interest that I'm? Dr- yes. But then it says, under the po- not, not be brought under the power of any. Does it put me in a bondage situation? Does it put me under legalism, legalistic situation here? If it causes something to happen in my life that it doesn't allow me to be who I am in Christ and live that way, then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to jettison that. I'm going to say no to it and put it over here. See how you have a decision in the matter? You know why? Because God loves adults. He doesn't want children. He doesn't want babies in the nursery. He wants adults at the family. He's set you at the family as an adult in the family. Chapter 10, edify others. Is me being dressed edifying everybody else? Yes, because we don't want you with no on. You see how you can just, God didn't whisper in my ear, wear the blue suit with the brown shoes and the brown belt. I made that decision actually, Linda did. (laughs) I need a shirt, I need a tie for tomorrow, okay? You see, folks, when you think about prayer in the communication of the armor, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17, come over to Romans 13, he says, pray without ceasing. That means prayer is not a posture all the time. It's not a position. Now, there are times when you're take something serious is going on where you stop and your head bowed eyes closed and but when you're flying down the freeway at 85 and you're praying that the idiot behind you does you're not going to be closing you better not be closing your eyes you'll end up in the median wall or see pray without ceasing isn't posture it's what father this is what's going on in life how do I address it? How do I, what verses, and I know where I've got to go, Romans of Philemon. So guess what I start doing? I start reading. I start getting it in me. Some of us, we you pick up a book, Concordance, open up, do some. Okay, some of you guys use laptops and computers and all the gadgetry. But what are you doing? You're searching for it. So the armor. So prayer. Prayer is the catalyst. It's what energizes the armor. It's what makes it work. You study the Word, you find out what it says, and I go over and apply that, and I'm doing it by praying in the Spirit. And the Spirit comes and He works in you. You with Okay. Romans 13, verse 12. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Verse 14. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Every piece of the armor is an aspect of putting on who you are in Christ. The armor, it has to do with you bringing that identity that He gave you—the moment you trusted Christ—you get in the book, you study, you begin to learn it, you begin to put it, and he, you take that identity and who you are in Christ—and you bring it into the details of life. Whether it's in your marriage with your spouse, whether it's with your children as you're raising them or have raised them, and now you know try not to kill them. On the job, what an attitude to have in the job that you're not there for men pleasing, Ephesians 6. You're there because you got a wife and a bunch of kids at home. You got to feed and take care of It's your job. What a different attitude to have. Or you're retired and you're looking at your grandchildren. Glad you didn't kill your kids because you got your grandchildren. And you're sitting around, how can I be? In those moments where we... Begin to feel weak or discouraged or overwhelmed, the fiery darts are coming. God's provided us protection. It's in who we are in Him. And that's what the armor is all about. The provision that God has given us is in the armor. And that's the answer. Our job is to believe it, to learn about it, take it, bring it over here, or put it in the details of life. And when we do that, then as Paul would say there, he says, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. We have a boldness in life. Not defeat, not discourage, not overwhelm. But we have a hope and we have confidence. Okay. All right, dearly Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for who we are in your son. And Lord, I just pray that as we go in the day, that we would do so with that in our minds, the provisions that you've given to us in in your son. And have that be what's resonating in our lives, in our thinking, in our everyday today. In your name we pray, amen.